Hi, this is Drake. Welcome to the Probiotic Life. This podcast is where we explore the intricate relationships between human health, soil health, and ecological systems. Join me now for another exploratory conversation on the probiotic life. Welcome to another episode of The Probiotic Life. I am your host, Ben Klenner. Well, today we have an interview with Dan Kittredge of the Bionutrient Food Association. Uh, If you haven't heard of him before, check out his website, bionutrient.org. They just had their uh, 7th Annual Soil and Nutrition Conference, and we recorded this before, actually, and um, so we talk about the upcoming conference. And so, sorry, Dan, I didn't get this up before, but there's some great information in this podcast, in this episode. We've, we talk about the connection between soil health and human health, as um, I've tried to piece that together in other podcasts. Um, and so, well, we really get into some of uh, his story, but really uh, what he's doing and um, this new technology that uh, he's putting together with a bunch of other people. So, uh, if you're interested in what he's doing, definitely check out bionutrient.org. Um, and I also promised that I had an announcement, so I'm going to uh, do that right now because we have some exciting things coming up on the podcast. And we really want to take this um, to phase two, if you will. Um, and I say we because it's not just me, it's my wife as well. Um, she's helping me heaps. But this really has to do with we as in terms of me and my family because um, I actually want your help with this. I, I want your support with this. And that's uh, what this is all about. I'm asking you for some support. So what does phase two look like? Let me just explain a little bit. So we're planning the next 10 episodes. We've got some incredible guests lined up and we're really expanding uh, what we're going to be talking about, not just soil. I know that uh, it's been uh, more focused on soil and regenerative agriculture, which I am. I love and, you know, we've talked about fermenting a little bit, but really getting more into the microbiome. So that's going to be coming up. Um, We're also planning uh, some online content, some more, some videos, some guides, and eventually courses that will come a little bit more down the track. And we're also working on a online shop with some relevant products. So I'm not so keen on selling you guys like uh, probiotics in a pill form, but more things that that can help you create a probiotic life. So if you have any suggestions, I would love to hear them. We're talking about like fermentation kits, um, so resources, books, um, even inoculants, that sort of stuff. Uh, let me know what you think about that. But I am super excited about this because, um, well, let me just tell you. So when I got injured a couple of years ago, I had a lot of time to think, right? I I injured myself. I was uh, incapacitated, basically. So I had a lot of time to think, to think about 
what I'm doing about life, the universe, and everything. And the probiotic life is a result of this deep desire within me to to contribute to this world. And so between the time I had the time to think about it and, and thinking about how I could make an impact, this is what I have come up with. Um, I see the probiotic life as my contribution to this world. So my wife and I, um, we have talked about this a lot and we are committed to the probiotic life as a podcast, but also as a lifestyle. Um, you know, she, she has supported me so much in that. We've even together agreed to sacrifice um, a steady income uh, for me so that we can get this out there, that we can get this podcast out there. Um, and that's when where you come in. We, we need your support. We want your help. Um, I want to devote all of my time and focus to create uh, this content and more resources for you. Otherwise, what happens is I need to continue doing other bits and pieces, other projects. I do some consulting, some uh, landscape design as well um, to keep providing for my family. But my passion is this, the probiotic life. So if you connect uh, with the vision of the podcast, if you connect with, uh, if you believe in, in what we're doing, I'd love your help. I'd love your support. Here are a couple of ways that you can support us. You can sponsor us. You can go straight to our GoFundMe page. Uh, the link is in the show notes. Click on that and you'll, uh, you'll learn a bit more about that. You can share the podcast. So just think about this. Everybody who's listening right now, I'm talking to you. Who are three people that you know that you could share with this right now that would benefit from listening to this? And also give feedback. However you're listening to this, you have an opportunity to give a rating and a review. Or you can jump on the website and email me direct. Let me know uh, what guests you want uh, or topics that you want to hear. We want this to be relevant to you and your journey. There's lots of work to do, but I believe it is worth the effort. If you're on board, we'd love to partner with you. So let's regenerate our planet, restore our health and live a probiotic life. Many thanks to all of you who have taken the time to listen. Uh, my deep gratitude to you all and blessings on you and your family. And now here is the interview with Dan Kittridge. Just wanted to point out that we did do a Skype interview and for whatever reason, uh, it dropped out. Maybe Dan's phone died or something, but I was unable to reach him again, unfortunately. So this gets cut off uh, a little bit short, but I'm sure you'll enjoy it and get some value out of it. Here's the interview with Dan Kittridge. Today, my guest is Dan Kittridge. He is the uh, founder of the Bionutrient Organization, and he lives in Massachusetts. Is that right, Dan? That's correct. Yeah. Thanks for coming He's on the show. in the US, for those who don't know. Yes. <laughs> my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, um, would you like to just share a little bit about uh, where you are and how, how did you get to um, this place of running the Bionutrient organization? Yeah, well, um, I'm an organic farmer, have been my basically my entire life. And um, when I got married and realized that I needed to make a living, um, instead of just managing my parents' farm, I 
realized that I was not necessarily that good of a farmer um, because my plants were actually, you know, sick. They had diseases and pests and things like that, which are symptoms of of poor health. And so for the past, uh, it's been probably 12 years now, um, been actively studying and implementing and applying um, best practices. I refer to them generally as principles of biological systems. How did life evolve to function and how can we work in harmony with it? So um, <clears throat> as I started you know, doing different things on my farm and seeing the results that seemed to correlate with better health and vigor and vitality and economic viability and pest and disease resistance and yield and all kinds of things, flavor. Um, I uh, started giving workshops and it's evolved over time into a, into a really uh, wonderful community of growers, eaters, researchers, um, advocates, et cetera, et cetera, that are um, understanding the connection between soil health, plant health, human health, cultural health, spiritual health. We can go all kinds of different directions. Um, yeah. How's that? Fantastic. Yeah. And I mean, that's why I brought you on the show, Dan, because uh, for me, you really enlightened me about the connections between soil health and human health. And um, so you mentioned that it was when you got married or thereafter when it, this really sort of clicked for you. Was there any moment in time what really stood out to you about what happened, why, what made the connection? Um, there was a series of, you know, sort of pieces of the puzzle, but it really came down to visceral self-interest. Um, I, you know, needed to make a living and I, um, found farming, you know, to be a really wonderful lifestyle, but the models around me were that it was a difficult lifestyle and, it didn't seem to me um, appropriate that it should be so hard. And I'd been brought up with the with the sort of mentality that organic was better. But, you know, if I was going to be honest with myself, I had to say that my plants weren't healthy. So maybe there's something better than just plain organic. Um, yeah, I mean, I spent, you know, time in my 20s up in the Himalayas and, you know, meditating and being a political activist and a, you know, environmental activist. And I did all kinds of different things. So there's all kinds of insights um, that sort of had been building over time, but it was really brought to the fore by needing to provide for myself and my family in a, in a more um, systemic manner. Right. So you actually wanted to use um, farming as not only as a lifestyle, but actually providing for your family. Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought that, you know, I should be able to make a living and not have to work too hard. And it seemed like it would be much easier if my plants were healthy and were producing more. Um, and, you know, so it was a it was a, it was a process, but it was it was really driven by by self-interest, which I think is actually what drives a lot of people. Um, the greater good is nice, but self-interest is really what pushes the <laughs> pushes the ball forward. Um, yeah. So yeah. yeah, it was a it's a process. I, I had a background in the organic world and community, and um, you know was definitely privileged to grow up on a farm and a homestead and have a lot of practical skills. And I thought if I couldn't do it well, then you know it was probably going to be a lot harder for people who didn't have that background. Um, so it, you know I've, I've uh, <clears throat> It's evolved from 
you know, individual personal self-interest to global self-interest and understanding that by taking good care of the land, we not only can sequester carbon and reverse, you know, the excesses of CO2 in the atmosphere, but we can revitalize ecosystems and, and you know, really um, reverse degenerative disease and um, I think have some pretty powerful effects uh, systemically. Um, there's a lot of a lot of things going on right now which give people reason to feel overwhelmed and sort of disillusioned and sort of depressed about things. Um, and what ex- what's exciting about this is that really simply by working in harmony with nature, um, a lot of those issues can be addressed um, on any any of the levels we want to talk about. Yeah. Um, so you talk about working in harmony with nature. Uh, what does that look like, and what, what does that uh, Say for a day on the uh, in the life of your farm, uh, when you are there, what does that look like working in harmony with nature? Um, I think it's you know it begins you know with a deeper understanding of the the patterns um, and the systems. Um, I think we come with our sort of human Western you know reductionist culture um, with with a assumption that we are in control of things and we know better. And I think foundationally, uh, we need to understand that that life has been doing a pretty good job for quite some time. And if we can study and, and learn how to work more harmoniously, it's going to be in our interest. So, I mean, foundationally for plants, when you're growing crops, which is the f- food for your animals or whatever whatever kind of farmer you are, you, it's it starts it starts with the relationship with the soil. Um, you know, the, the microbes in the soil are the bottom of the food chain, and the rest of the food chain is only flourishing as well as the, as the bottom of the food chain flourishes. So, you know, deeply understanding that they need food to eat and water to drink and air to breathe and, you know, some rudimentary things and working to create an environment where those things are present is really the base of it. Um, there's a lot of, you know, good practices that have been well uh, disseminated through the organic community, through the permaculture community, through the biodynamic community, et cetera. Um, and it's, you know, what we've been doing with our organization is trying to integrate them and put them in a framework that um, is intuitive for people. You don't need to be a biochemist or a, you know, a quantum physicist to understand this stuff. It's really actually pretty, pretty intuitive if you, if you can see it through the right lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I've definitely enjoyed listening to all of the uh, audios from, I believe it was the last one or the couple of, um, conferences ago that you had and you have a, a variety of people on there you have you know everyone from um soil scientists and agriculturalists to um herbalists and healers as well which is very interesting nutritionists quantum 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 physicists yeah i mean we're all actually looking at the same thing which life um from different lenses and i feel like one of the <clears throat> one of the systemic you know, errors or mistakes is is identifying. I'm a permaculturalist, and I'm going to go to the permaculturalist events. I'm a I'm a nutritionist. I'm going to go to nutritionist events. Um, you know, there's a an immense amount of wisdom that has been um, developed over time, and um, the more we can integrate our perspectives and learn from each other, um, the more empowered we become. So yeah, we feel really good about our conference, and um, you know, we we really try to bring thoughtful people from different realms um, to really ground that conversation 
and I don't think you mentioned it, but all of the recordings are you know freely available on our website to anyone who wishes to to uh, partake. For sure. So we do. We're a, we're an NGO. We're a nonprofit educational organization. We're not trying to make money. We're really trying to to you know facilitate the the broader movement and education and empowerment. Uh, that's fantastic, Dan. I really appreciate that. So um, the your website is uh, bionutrient.org. Just bio and nutrient. Bionutrient. Yeah, one word, singular. Dot org. We'll put those links up there, and in fact, there's fantastic uh, resources on there. Beautiful. Yeah, link link to the re- link to the recordings, and yeah, please. That's what we're here for. <laughs> so um, let's just go back a bit from where you started to farm and make a live living farming. And then you said you were talking. Uh, you started doing workshops, and um, this has eventually led to the conferences. Take us on a bit of a journey from from when you started doing these workshops to where you are now. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I, I I grew up on an organic farm, and um, my parents had uh, their day job was to running an organic farming organization called NOFA, Northeast Organic Farming Organization, and. Um, there, you know, there's multiple different state chapters in the Northeast part of the United States. Um, and they have an annual conference and they have a newspaper and it's a, it's a really good sort of grassroots community that's been going, you know, well since the late 1970s. Um, and, um, because of my personal relationships and sort of background in the community, I had, you know, access to, you know, get on stage at some of the conferences and start talking about the things I was learning and, it was, you know, received well and started to get asked to do, you know, not just one hour presentations, but, you know, half day presentations and full day presentations and started to spread beyond just the Northeast to the rest of the really North America it is at this point. Um, and yeah, uh, there was just, you know, it, 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 there's a long story with lots of details, but functionally we established a, an NGO infrastructure and, um, at this point, we've got, you know, this is our seventh annual conference we're putting on next month in November, end of November in Massachusetts. Um, we've got uh, local chapters in 12 different United States of the United States. And um, <clears throat> we've been doing our two-day intensive courses around North America. Um, and we're sort of really trying to hold the conversation around the quality of the food and say, you know, if you look at flavor – and as a as a metric, there seems to be a really direct correlation between the the flavor of a carrot or a tomato or a peach or you know potatoes or beef or milk, eggs, and the nutritional value and the environment it was produced in and the health giving attribute. Um, and so we're saying, look, if we can focus on the quality of food, the nutritional value of food, um, and help growers do a better job producing it and help uh, consumers. Um, you know, choose it in the supply chain. Um, we can really f- drive a lot of a lot of systemic shift in the positive direction. So, at this point, you know, among other things, we're going to be launching the first generation of our handheld spectrometer, which is a you know, it's a little a little gizmo, it's, you know, not much bigger than a smartphone that you could take to the grocery store or to the farmer's market and literally flash a light at a carrot and see relatively how good it is. Um, and our thought is if we can help consumers choose the best quality crops on the shelf, then we have an economic incentive for the the retail 
you know, companies and the, all the way down the supply chain to focus on quality as opposed to just aesthetic and maybe volume, which seems to be the primary drivers in the supply chain. Um, you know, crops that are grown well, healthy plants, you know, they, they have green leaves to make sugar and they spend a lot of that sugar in the soil. They inject that into the soil to feed bacteria and fungi to, because in nature it's the bacteria and fungi in the soil that actually digest the soil and feed it to the plant. And that process is a carbon sequestration process. And that process basically makes it so you don't need fertilizers and healthy plants that have the compounds that correlate with flavor and aroma, those compounds make the plant indigestible to bacterial, fungal, insect pests. And so we no longer need insecticides and fungicides. So we can we can really remove a lot of the toxic, you know, attributes of agriculture. Um, and we can reverse climate change. Um, you know, we, we suggest that if people eat food that tastes good, then that is food that is actually technically medicine, uh, uh, you know, as Hippocrates said, let food be thy medicine, um, and can give you the, the, the nutrition that you need to reverse whatever kind of degenerative diseases that seem to be really running rampant these days. So we've taken the, the basic work of, you know, helping growers do a better job and tried to frame it more broadly so that we can, um, integrate more people into the conversation to help, you know, help the understanding that we're really all in this together. And it's not much more complicated than choosing the best tasting crop off the shelf. If you, if you choose the food that tastes best, it not only is the best thing for your child, it's the best thing for the environment. Um, and with all the things that are going on these days, um, that, you know, like I said, give people reason to feel depressed and overwhelmed. Um, you know, this is something we can we can do that is is a step in the right direction. And most people buy food with money. Um, most people don't grow their own food. Most people buy food. So we can use money, which is a is a powerful force, to incentivize solutions. Um, it's a broad it's a broad conversation. I can go lots of different directions, but that's a maybe a a, a short a short. <laughs> Dan, this is a fantastic yeah. strategy that that you've um, developed about using that ra um, using money rather than just trying to tell people that it's good for them um, because you know a lot of people that I've talked to well, they they go and buy the cheap stuff because it's cheap you know um, and yeah. I know that I know that people do care about their health um, and my wife and I have been on a journey and our kids have been on a journey um, in developing uh, or getting more into our health and being more aware of our health. But there is people who, who want to do something. They don't know what to do, though. They, they, they want to start somewhere, but they don't know what to do. So I think the information that you're sharing is really uh, is groundbreaking. It's, it's you know, creating awareness, and then you're bringing a strategy on, like you said, with your um, – is it a refractometer, is it? Uh, no, it's a spectrometer. spectrometer. It's a, a refractometer is the is the best tool we've got now. But a spectrometer, um, it reads the spectrum of light, and you basically it's. I mean, imagine a smartphone camera flashing a light at a carrot, and you get a reading back on your screen. You know, eighteen out of a hundred, or forty out of a hundred, or eighty out of a hundred. Um, the technology has gotten to the point where we can do that, um, <clears throat> and. You know, it might take three or four or five years until 
it's built into your smartphone. So we're starting with a little handheld thing. But um, yeah, it's, it's you know, every compound in chemistry, every carbohydrate, every protein, every carotenoid or terpenoid, every element, copper or zinc or calcium in chemistry has a vibration in physics. It vibrates at a certain frequency. And so a spectrometer is a tool that basically reads the vibration of things. And if you do the algorithms right and you, you know, you're empirically honest and, you know, about what you're doing, uh, we can really, we can really, uh, we're in the middle of this process of bringing it, bringing it forward. Um, it's all open source. Everything we're doing is is open source. All the all the engineering, all the data sets, everything is is in the commons. We're not a company trying to make money. We're we're uh, we're an NGO, a nonprofit educational organization, trying to you know bring forward a different structure. Um, so it's really exciting how it's all playing out. It's I mean I don't have time to go into all the details, but um, suffice it to say, a lot of people are are understanding this and and coalescing around it. That's fantastic. I, I'm excited too because I want to get my hands on one of these things. Whenever you get, when, whenever you bring them out, I'll get one of them. We're we're launching the the crowdfunding campaign uh, in the end of November, and yeah, anybody can order one, and you'll get it next year. Um, and it's going to be a first generation. You know, it's not going to be the the fancy easy app on your phone. That'll take a couple a couple of years, but um, and the whole the whole process is a collection. You know, meta science process um we have to define quality we have to define you know a lot of this stuff so it's it's a process it's going to take a couple years but um anybody wants to get in on the ground level yeah certainly feel free to (laughs) check it out and uh and uh yeah stay abreast great that's uh part of the probiotic life is doing citizen science uh because we have a community of people who are getting on board who want to uh, take health into their own hands and part of that is uh, testing and measuring and creating data sets. Yeah, well, it's, you know, I mean, there's patterns in life and life is a multi-factor system. It's not a reductionist, simple system. And, And the only way we can trust the data is if we know who's creating it and if we can all verify and, you know, confirm it ourselves. We don't need to trust some company with some black box technology. We can we can confirm it ourselves, and and the real answer is with your tongue. You know, if the if the answer on the on the meter is different than the answer on your tongue, the meter's wrong, because we're actually animals, and we actually have a really sophisticated nutrient monitoring device, you know, in built called our tongue, our nose, um, and those compounds that make a carrot have a wonderful carroty flavor are what makes a carrot nutritious and what makes a carrot bitter or bland is what makes it, you know, functionally empty. So I don't care whether it's local or it's organic or it's biodynamic or I don't care what label you put on it. What matters is what it tastes like. Mm. Uh, I've heard you talk about this before, Dan, about um, the different cultures. You mentioned you were traveling in the Himalayas, you know, different cultures around the world. Um, and even like the, the the Native Americans, they were really keyed in to the way that nature worked. What do you think that we can learn from them that we can apply in our lives today? <laughs> very many things. Um, very many things. Indigenous cultures. In terms you know, of health. In terms of health. Um, uh, in terms of health. 
I, I mean, I think foundationally, indigenous cultures had a, a direct communication with nature. Um, I like to talk about, you know, the uh, the grad student in anthropology who goes down to the Amazon and you know is interviewing the tribal people and asking them, you know, how is it that you could possibly have figured out that this root and this leaf could be used to address this disease? Um, and the local people say, well, they told us, duh. <laughs> and that grad student is, you know, they've come back from their, from their January term or whatever it is, their, you know, their mid, mid, midwinter term, I guess, whatever it would be for you guys, I guess, February or not, not, I mean, not July, I'm not sure when the middle of the winter is for you, but, yep. um, and they're hanging out and having a beer and, and one of the other grad students is coming back from Africa and is like, I was talking to the Maasai and they said the same thing. And, I, and the other guy says, I was talking to the Aborigines in Australia and they said the same thing. Um, you know, if you're a scientist and you've got 15 data points and 14 data points are lined up on a line and one of them's an outlier, if all these different cultures around the world are telling us that we have the ability to communicate directly with nature, um, to perceive and interact, and there's a, it's a living, it's a living relationship, and one culture says we can't. Which one's right? You know. Yeah. I, this Western culture, quote unquote, that we live in, you know, has this reductionist, mechanistic paradigm, which I think is really fraudulent and has really caused a lot of the systemic issues we're struggling with. So. I think foundationally it's, you know, it's owning the fact that we are part of the ecosystem and engaging it, um, as a, as a member, not as a, you know, in control. Mm. Um, that would be, I think the deeper comment I would start with. Um, but you I mean, I think if you look across the, the, the continents, indigenous communities were working with the land really gently and really systemically to maximize vitality. I know in the Americas, they say, you know, um, that the role of the human animal in the ecosystem is his caretaker of the land. And, um, you know, we're all, we're all members of the ecosystem and we all have a role. What was being done in North America when Columbus came, you know, the amount of beef that was being produced in the American Midwest if you count buffalo as beef, there was more beef being produced per acre by the Native Americans than is being produced now. The fishes were, the, the rivers were full of fish. You know, the trees were full of fruit. Um, you know, th there was there was more agricultural production being done by indigenous communities with no plow, with no wheel, with no beasts of burden, because they were working harmoniously with nature. They understood you know, the subtleties and the forces at work and they were respectful. So, I mean, I think foundationally it comes down to an entirely different relationship. Um, and we can understand it through science, you know, I mean, science, the process of studying cause and effect and, you know, patterns and, and relationships, we can understand it in physics. We can understand it in biochemistry. We can understand it in all kinds of different fields, but we have to have an integrated perspective. We can't have this limited sort of siloed perspective. Mm -hmm. it, I definitely relate to that in, here in Australia. The um, the indigenous people of this area in Western Australia, the Wajak Noongar people, uh, they have uh, a great relationship or they had a great relationship with the land and interpreted everything um, through the through the dream, dream time, which is um, their... The song lines and everything else. Yeah, their yeah, spir exactly. spiritual stories. Um, and in a way, you could say that Science is um, 
just a form of religion. It's a way of explaining things. Um, and so if we, if we take that understanding of science and, and not trying to force ourselves on the planet, force ourselves on, on the land, but use it as a way of explaining and working with the land, then... Um, Understanding. Yeah, yeah, we could actually use exactly. it. And uh, I just wanted to touch on another point. You talked about um, um, people asking the natives about how did they know? How did they know about these plants? How did they know about um, the healing properties? Um, and if you're talking about South America, straight away, you know, I've heard people talk about ayahuasca and how it's the plant spirit that actually tells you that. I mean, that that's a whole different subject to get into. But, I mean, what do, what do you think about that? It's There's not a- really. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about hallucinogenics, but... Um, you know, the science of the West, I like to say, is the science of the physical plane. And the science of the East, if you want to look at, at Asia, you know, India and China and places like that, is the science of the, you know, there's there's physics and there's, you know, quantum physics. There's you know, metaphysics. Um, the, the, the Western scientists, you know, the physicists will tell you that all of our telescopes, all of our microscopes, all of our technology can can find about 4% of reality. And, you know, 96% of reality, they call dark matter and dark energy. And they call it dark because they can't see it. They can't, mm-hmm. they can't find it with any of their tools. And so, and as I understand, we're hardwired with multiple octaves of perception. They talk about the, you know, the meridians in, um, in acupuncture, in Sanskrit, they're called the nadis. These energy lines, the chakras, um, you know, my understanding is that we have multiple modes of, of perception, um, when you say you know something, you had a gut feeling about something. You you know you knew it in your gut. Well, your gut is full of all these brain cells, these antenna, basically. You're you know I felt it in my heart. Well, your heart is full of all these these neurons, which are functionally antenna systems. Life seems to communicate through vibration, and um, and you know it's I think it's the the, the science is, is you know it's definitely there if you want to look at it. Mm. So I don't think you need to necessarily take ayahuasca um, to tune into your, you know, your, your gut feelings about things. Um, it's as simple as going out into the garden and having like something comes to your mind, you know, like I just feel like they need some water or I feel like they want to be mulched or I feel like, you know, whatever those impulses are, whatever that thought is that comes to your mind, you know, I would suggest that you're being communicated with. And if you just accept that and serve it, um, you know, the relationship deepens and, Mm. um, it's really a process of of getting out of our heads and and opening up and and feeling and and being receptive and treating it like it's a relationship, um, you know, that you honor, not a, a, a top down relationship, but a respectful relationship. Mm-hmm. Someone who's tied this together for me um, is Dr. John Demartini. I don't know if you've heard of him before, but he I know the name. Yeah. So he, he yeah. A lot of people know him through. Um, personal development sort of stuff, but he's a polymath. He he has studied like 150 different um, disciplines, and I think he has a PhD in three. Yeah. He just ties it all together. Yeah. He can tie together the 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 spiritual aspect of it um, and the physical aspect of it. Um, and it's interesting that we're coming to this point in the conversation, Dan, because uh, quite a few of the other conversations we've had on this. Um, podcast 
they start out about nature and how we're connected to nature and turn around to how everything is about uh, honouring and the relationship that's, um, that's behind it all. And that's what I see in, in your work and in, in what you're doing. So I'd just like to ask you, what, what is, uh, where are you headed now? Where are you headed with the organisation? Is there any new discoveries or something that you're researching right now that you're really excited about? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I feel like there's this, there's this deep um, ache for solutions and for working together and for collaboration. And so um, what we're doing, you know, here primarily in the States, but with certainly with partners and allies around the planet is, is developing a, a structure for the movement, the broader movement. It's not just the food movement. It's the, you know, the human potential movement, the, you know, the, the human health and political, you know, environmental movements where we can have a framework for collaboration that's transparent and empirical. Um, it's not controlled by business and uh, proprietary interest, but by, by collaboration. So, um, that's really actually what we're launching at our conference next month. It's not just this little handheld tool, but the, uh, a real structure for, for collaboration, um, for, you know, citizen science and, you know, activism and, and decentralized coordination and, and communication. Um, I think it's time for us all to, to really, work together um strategically and so we can use you know cryptocurrencies and big data sets and um you know just environmental awareness and our communities we can we can really use if we i mean i would say that we the people are there are many and we have really common interests and so um if we have a structure for finding each other and collaborating with each other um, and we're going to win, you know, uh, we, we don't need to worry about the climate. We don't need to worry about the political situation. It's on us to take our power and, and work together. So, um, we're really actively involved in, in getting those pieces established so that there's a framework for collaboration and it's, it's coming along quite nicely. Um, yeah, <laughs> stay, stay tuned. So building that network, building a community, building the mycelium, really, yeah. isn't it? That's actually the name of our of our you know our, our database and our you know <laughs> social social media platform is mycelia. Yeah, nice. That's that's the whole that's the whole that it's it's a it's a it's a it's a web. It's you know we can learn a lot from the fungi about about <laughs> so many things, um, mm-hmm. but it's not this top down control thing. It's a it's a decentralized synergistic mutual empowerment dynamic. So how do we, how do we function in our day-to-day lives? Um, you know, how do we find each other? How do we collaborate with each other? How do we work together? How do we make our, our day-to-day decisions? There's what, 7 billion plus people on this planet. If we begin to actively synergize and, and coordinate, we, we win, you know, mm. game over. Mm-hmm. We, we don't need to worry about anything. Um, we just need to, to be, actively synergizing and we need a structure in which to do it where it's not being controlled it's not governed and and you know designed uh, by by money um but it's designed it's designed to empower um 
so yeah, we're we're working on it. We're working on it. It's 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 coming along. It's coming along. <laughs> so how how do you get people with all different values, um, all different belief systems, uh, to synergize in this sort of way in either community or through networks? Well, different people have different you know drivers. I think you know foundational is the health of your children. You know your own personal health. You know your your viability it's you know it's it's your own self-interest that really drives it um and if your self-interest is the collective self-interest then then that's that's how we how we structure it so foundationally you know a lot of people are sick a lot of people are go to doctors they have drugs they you know they're pharmaceuticals they're um you know they've got degenerative diseases um, the epidemic level of these diseases and children, you know, across the, you know, the developed world. And I mean, it's just really pretty visceral. So that's why we're focusing on the quality of food, you know, say, look, if you just, most people buy food with money. So if you use your money to buy food that is actually nutritious, you economically incentivize solutions. You, you are actively engaged in creating the reality you want to see. Um, it may be cheaper to buy a McDonald's hamburger than it is to buy a grass-fed burger, but that's just the cost of the food. That's not the cost on your psychological, emotional, physical health. That's not your healthcare bills. That's not the health. That's not the cost for the ecosystem. That's not the cost for, you know, the medical industry. And if you if you factor it out, it is the most efficient, strategic, self-interested thing to do, is to eat food that tastes good. So, we think that's a that's a common ground that. Very few people are going to have a hard time with, you know, I mean, who's going to disagree with that? Mm -hmm. Um, We're not fighting anybody. We're not fighting, you know, we're not fighting anybody. We're simply saying, let's come together around food that tastes good and understand that it means better health for your physical body, for the environment. Um, You know, it it just, it's just, it's really, it's really beautiful how simple it is once you, once you begin to put the pieces together. Mm. Isn't it interesting, Dan, that you said come together around food and that's what culture is um, based around, is around the meal, about, yeah. around breaking bread together. It used to be. <laughs> <laughs> it used to be. That's right, yeah. Agriculture, permaculture. Yeah, exactly. That's right, yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. So for, yeah. for people who are either, you know, for me, I live in a little villa and I've got all my fruit trees in pots. I'm doing like a no, no-till sort of thing with Korean natural farming. I'm seeing great results in that. Uh, for people who have a little bit of land or maybe like a little um, veggie garden, what what advice would you give to them? Where where would we start with creating more of a probiotic life in that scene? That's been the work of our organization. Um, you know, I, I do 12-hour stand-up, you know, shows basically going on this topic, um, you know, on what are the principles, how do you apply them. Um, it's, I mean, it's about creating an environment where the soil life can flourish. And if the soil is too tight, there's no air for them to breathe. If the soil is too dry, there's no water for them to drink. If the water, if the soil is bare, there's no food for them to eat. You know, you got to work. Basically, it's biomimicry. How, how does nature do it? She keeps herself covered, right? I mean, you keep the soil covered to the best of your ability. Mulch or, or whatever it is. Um, maintain hydration. You know, keep the soil loose. If you keep it covered and you keep it moist, it'll keep itself loose. But, um, you know, there's critical minerals that are necessary um, for biochemistry to function. 
you can use, you know, a little bit of seawater. You can use ground up basalt or granite. You don't need to use fancy fertilizers. Um, you need you need a full spectrum of, of microbes. So you can do career natural farming, like you're saying. You can do IMOs, indigenous microorganisms. You can go harvest them from your environment. You can do compost teas. You can buy inoculants in little jugs and use them. You know, if you've got the spectrum of species present and they've got food to eat, they've got the minerals to build their bodies with, they've got water to drink and air to breathe, get out of the way. Don't screw with it. You know, just it's really about about working to um, create an environment where life can flourish. And life life is way more sophisticated than we're ever going to be. So if we can understand what some of the basic environmental conditions are that life needs and we can create them um, – we win. It, it all it all happens. Mm-hmm. The probiotic life. Yes, <laughs> it's all about life. We're we're in deep in deep support of life. <laughs> yeah. And just for our listeners, um, you do have some fantastic resources on YouTube as well. You've got the whole. Um, I'm not sure if it's a series, but like twelve hours, isn't it? Of, it's a two day course. Uh, it's a two day course. Yeah. Two day. Right. That people pay for yep. if they want to come attend, but it's freely available if you want to just download it. Yep. That's great. If you want to listen to um, or watch Dan, uh, go on YouTube. Uh, I'll, sit, I'll put up a link as well. Yeah, put the links there. Um, and the links to all the recordings of our conferences. And yeah, it's all about sharing the information and, and facilitating the empowerment. For sure. You said that you have a conference coming up. Is that that's in the next uh, month or so? Is that right? It's the last three days in November. Um, it's our seventh annual soil and nutrition conference. It's going to be in Massachusetts. We do have people attending from Australia. Um, um, <laughs> it's a um, you know it's 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 uh, you know in earlier years it was much more of a regional event, but it's it's really broadening quite dramatically. Um, so yeah, that's happening. If anybody's got the money and wants to, you know, meet a bunch of cool people, they're, they're totally welcome to come. Um, the recordings will be available online at some point in the future. Um, no, no promises. <laughs> they're going to be free, so <laughs> I'm not going to commit to a specific yep. time. But um, yeah, exactly. And and what's the lineup? Or can you share some of the the people that's going to be talking there and what they're talking about? Yeah, well, uh, Christine Jones is coming from Australia. Um, if you know her, um, all about soil carbon. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Ray Archuleta, who used to work for the USDA, who's, you know, working on cover crops and, you know, um, with farmers that are on thousands of acres growing sort of grains and things like that. We've got, yeah, people talking about quantum mechanics and the role of intention. We've got people talking about SRI and, you know, local smallholders in the developing world. We've got, um, some really sophisticated practitioners from here in New England, um, uh, Brian O'Hara is going to be talking. Um, uh, um, what's his name from Maine? Um, Mark Fulford. Uh, there's a there's a uh, a guy who's a um, herbalist from Vermont. Um, Guido Masse is going to be coming. There's nutritionist uh, Kathleen DiChiara. There's a really brilliant brilliant guy who understands the role of minerals and enzyme systems and DNA and uh, things like that. Named. Um, And that's where it got cut off, unfortunately. Once again, I will put all the links in the show notes. And um, even though I put this up later than intended, there will be links to everything on his website there. And like Dan said, he will be putting up the audio of this uh, conference that has just passed. 
month. So thanks again for listening. Hope you got something out of that. Um, I know that I did, definitely. And we'd love to partner with you. So head over to our website, The Probiotic Life. And until next time, cheers. Thank you for listening to The Probiotic Life. You can find us on Facebook at The Probiotic Life, on Instagram, The Probiotic Life, and on our website, theprobiotic.life.